I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help. With the aid of my favorite wrestling show, this is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, we have finally arrived at NXT Arrival, which originally aired on February 27th, 2014. A new champion is crowned at Arrival. Hugs are received, Bob. And Lindsay Kelk is here to help us talk about it. Yes. Hello. I am. I thought you were going to say I was at Arrival. Were were (laughs) you? I was. No, I wasn't. Okay. Okay. I would not (laughs) have surprised you. That would have been a lie. Welcome to episode 41 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. And this is a very special episode for us. Arrival, NXT's first live special, was always going to be our first major milestone. And to help us celebrate it, we are enormously pleased and honored to welcome Lindsay Kell to the show. Lindsay is the author of uh, 20 books, is that right? I mean, some. I don't even know. (laughs) I've read some books. The author of some books. The author of some (laughs) books, including the extremely popular iHeart series. She's also uh, one of the core hosts of the Tights and Fights podcast, which is a thing that I love, and you can tell that by the fact that we definitely didn't, like, do the fights and feels things as a derivation of you guys' uh, title. (laughs) No, I love it. We love fights, we love feels, we love friendship. Absolutely. Uh, Who doesn't love more of that? please. More of that, please. She also hosts the Full Coverage Beauty Podcast. Uh, In other words, she is far too good for us. Uh, But nonetheless, (laughs) she's here. Lindsay, welcome. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. That's not true in the slightest. I'm terrible and not good enough for anyone. Oh, so. Come on now. Come on now. <laughs> no, I have, now I have to drive over there and fight you until you recognize how beautiful and perfect you are. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I would allow it, but, you know, COVID. Oh, that's yeah. true. So, All right. Wear a mask. We'll take a rain check. We'll take a rain check. <laughs> the fights and feels begin already. So, Lindsay, when we have guests on the show, we usually begin by asking them just about their relationship with wrestling in general and NXT specifically. Um, So if you want to briefly talk about that. Absolutely. Uh, So I have been a wrestling fan for a very long time. Um, I started watching at the the late 80s, the end of the 80s, early 90s. Mm -hmm. I had an older brother. I have an older brother. He's still around. (laughs) Let's let's not retire him too early. Uh, I have a brother who's five years older and... Anyone who has that older brother dynamic, especially when it's little sister, I think Mm. you love whatever they love because you want them to love you so fiercely. Um, And he was sort of early teens and I was six, seven, eight. um, I just desperately wanted to love anything he loved so he would like me more. So we started watching wrestling together and I just fell in love with it from being really little. From when I was young, it was the bright colors and the cool outfits and the silliness and the loudness and I loved Miss Elizabeth so much I loved Sensational Sherry so much I loved Bret Hart pink and black forever it it was formative that's all I can say uh so that really was where I got in I took a sabbatical when my brother went off to college and I realized there were other boys in the world that were not my brother (laughs) Uh, so I became distracted by many other things and then I came back in my mid-20s and just have never looked back just fully embraced it and I just can't imagine a world without wrestling. I love it completely. It's my soap opera. It's my sports. Uh, it's my happy place. And NXT specifically is my happiest of happy places. Yeah. I 
love NXT. Uh, I'm lucky enough. I live in California now, as you can tell. I'm English originally. Um, now an American citizen. So everyone's pain is my pain. <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> congratulations. Con- Condolulations. Thank you. is is perfection. But yeah, I was living in New York for a long time and I moved out to LA and I was lucky enough to see a bunch of PWG when I first moved here. uh, A little over six years ago. A lot of the guys in NXT now were my PWG boyfriends at the time. They didn't know it, (laughs) but I did. It's just magical to watch people's careers progress and I, I love NXT. I think they are putting on the best wrestling in North America. I think... Their storytelling is superlative. I think their character development is excellent. And the in-ring work is undeniably fantastic. So super excited to dig back into the archives with you guys. Were you watching uh, NXT back in early 2014? Were you already on board or did you come in later? I was dipping in and out. Um, I was very much a Raw Smackdown girl Mm, at that time dabbling in new japan again i I mean i'm still trying to get my big brother to think i'm cool Um, he knows everything about wrestling ever and he was very like you should be watching new japan i'm like okay Uh, so i was dabbling with that and he was the one that told me to go to pwg when i started coming out to la so dabbling with that and that sort of took me to nxt i'm like oh this is kind of like a cross between those two things that i like there you go i did watch this uh event this was i think this was the first thing where i made it appointment viewing oh yeah obviously also very much inspired by my love of page hero so i was invested that actually brings me to a question that i always like to ask which is who was the first wrestler for you that you were like them they're my person i love them the first wrestler ever, it was, was it though? I'm <laughs> arguing with myself. Hi, I'm a Libra. Um, oh my God, I'm a Libra too. Always, I feel this oh, so this, much. This is going to be a nightmare. I know. <laughs> this is be a nightmare podcast for everyone. Like, well, I think this, but also this. Um, I loved Bret Hart. I loved Bret Hart. He was like my, one of my first crushes before I really knew what a crush was. Oh and I just, it was that thing where you're a little kid, but you're transfixed by what's in front of oh, you and yeah. you don't really know why. You're just like, I want to watch this person all the time. Everything he does is super cool. I'm super impressed by him. But also Mr. Perfect. Like Mr. Perfect was a big uh, gateway for me. I I loved him. And when he wrestled Bret Hart, oi. Mad wrestling heaven. Oh. Yeah, I mean, what made a nine-year-old girl love Matt wrestling? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Um, but Bret Hart was like, you know, the love song that stayed in my heart for so long. Uh, Mr. Perfect, I think, was a, was a fleeting crush. Mm. But Bret Hart was like a lifetime love affair. And I ran into him in the street in New Orleans Whoa. at WrestleMania 30. He was just walking down Bourbon Street on like a couple of nights before and I was with two friends who obviously were also wrestling friends that's why we were there right and we just we lost it we lost it really bad (laughs) and we had to to be like I'm so sorry I'm so sorry but also don't be walking through the middle of New Orleans three nights before (laughs) WrestleMania if you're Bret Hart if you don't want that pretty sure he knew what he was doing but he stopped and took a photo with us and he was so kind and so gracious and I love that it was a fan encounter and not like a journalist encounter. I didn't interview him in a WWE setting or in a podcast setting. I just bumped into him in the street and it felt so pure and wholesome. Nice. Uh, and he was so lovely. Cherry on the top of that crush. Okay. I loved it. I have to ask, look, you do not have to answer this at all. But I, as a person <laughs> I will, who loves I'm fandom and romance, I have to ask, 
Have you ever dipped your toes into wrestling fanfic? Because I know you're also a journalist, so I get like, you can say, no, thank you. I don't want to talk about oh, it. Oh, please. I'm a journalist-ish. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> zero journalistic integrity. No, I haven't. I haven't. Oh. Just purely, I think, because I don't have the time. Mm. Like The thing is, writing is my job, is my day job. Oh, my God. Um, so it's like, it does get to a point where even though I love it and I'm so privileged and grateful that it is my day job, it's like, I'm very rarely doing it for fun. Oh, yeah. Because you put me in front of a laptop and I'm like, <laughs> <"What?"> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, I understand But this. I have read a bunch of wrestling fanfic. <gasps> okay. Uh, Danielle, the other host of Tights and Fights, uh, Danielle and I often share some of our favorite bits and pieces of wrestling fanfic. Uh, it's a good time. That's some beautiful. very talented people out there with very vivid imaginations. <laughs> Are there any wrestlers whose characters to you feel like they stepped out of the pages of a romance novel? Because I get angry at the television whenever I see Drew McIntyre. I was going to say, I, I mean, I, it's not even a question, is it? He is a romance novel character. He just is one. Is there anyone um, else who's even close? Because I'm like, get back in that Tessa Dare novel, sir. You do not belong out on the street. Do you know Speech what can happen Tessa. to you? It's one of my proudest achievements that I did tweet that it should happen when, when everyone was talking about it. And he did tweet me back and <gasps> quote tweet it and say, hey, WWE, how about this? And I had the email drafted to someone I know at WWE. <laughs> and then I had to like step back and be like, you have a contract to deliver books already <laughs> and oh that's your job. And even if this happened, WWE would pay you like four pence yeah. and like it would take up all of your time. And I felt like it was a thing that could happen. And then I just felt like it was not for me to do mm. it. But then I feel bad because again, I'm a Libra because yeah. if not me, who? <gasps> right? So I really felt like I did deprive the people. It was on the table for a brief second <laughs> because he's perfect. He but is. I do feel like, I got very invested in my own personal romance fiction of him and Roman Reigns during their very Ooh. brief feud, you know, head of the family versus <gasps> head of the clan. Oh my God. And, you know, Roman's got his lay and uh, Drew's got his big sword. Yes. And eventually <laughs> they all come together. Oh my and it's God. a beautiful, beautiful uh, coming together of, of different cultures that could have been just so wonderful. I don't know if the world could handle that. Like, I feel I like I feel like if those two men ever kissed, things would just explode. It's like dividing by zero. I think the world might suddenly magically become perfect, though. That's true as well. Yeah. Like, hey, Pepsi, take your Kendall Jenner commercial, <laughs> stick it up your... And let's just make Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre kiss while Cesaro watches. Oh, like, that's all I need. Just men who could be on the covers of romance novels. Yes. Just holding hands. I mean, just being kind. Oh Maybe one God. of them giving each other a shoulder rub. It's not creepy. It's it's just friendship. Oh, my God. I love it. You can curse on this show, just so you know. I don't know. Okay, if- just checking. Yeah, it is very much allowed. <laughs> what was the first romance novel that you read where you were like, oh, these are amazing? I know I read a ton. I was a voracious reader as a child. I picked up every single book I ever could. The first ones I really, really strongly remember having an unhealthy impact on mm. me were sadly the Virginia Andrews books. Ooh. Um, yeah. There's <laughs> nothing like flowers in the attic to get you <laughs> like mind ticking over when you're 10. It was a huge deal in the UK. Yeah. And they all got passed around and we were far too young. I was actually more <laughs> invested in the heaven series than the flowers in the attic mm. series. And then definitely Barbara Taylor Bradford which was iconic. And then the Sweet Dreams series, which was kind of like Harlequin novels for teenagers, uh, which also did often play into wrestling because they were invariably high school set. Uh, Mm. You would get one or two that were not, but you would often be like, you know, it would be the captain of the wrestling team. And I could never marry that 
idea of wrestling to my knowledge of wrestling because no. I, mean, I didn't really know anything else about amateur wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would be like, what, they're doing this in high schools over there? This is I fucking know. crazy. What are their entrances? <laughs> yeah. I know. I like to think they did. Uh, in my mind, that's what happens in American high schools. It's literally like a tiny episode of Monday Night Raw every week. I can oh confirm that. God. Yeah, that's basically what high school is here. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. Oh, I, God, I wish. That would have been amazing. If only the theater department had that kind of budget. any romance novel tropes that you're like if it says that romance novel trope on the back of it you're like and clicking by so many that i love i don't read a ton of romance at the moment Mm. um because when i'm writing i can't read because i get hideous professional jealousy and i i cry Um, and also like you try reading something that someone did really well when you're trying to do that as your job it's like fuck this book how dare this book be brilliant and finished when i am still doing my job i love an enemies to lovers (gasps) gotta love an enemies to lovers also echoes through wrestling yes tropes echo through wrestling that's the joy of romance meeting wrestling it really is a venn diagram that has a lot of overlap uh who doesn't love one bed you know oh no there's only one bed i know oh my god how many times do i have to hear about the shield sharing one hotel room when we were on the way up? <laughs> stop making me write these stories in my brain boys stop it <laughs> what do you think is the greatest romance story or moment in wrestling I mean, it was Miss Elizabeth for me because the Miss mm. Elizabeth, Ric Flair, Andy Savage storyline was literally formative. I mean, concerning, actually, when I look at my adult relationships. That was a weird one. Yeah. Yeah. like My parents were going through a divorce. So maybe I was looking at that and going, oh, this makes sense. But I remember it so clearly. I remember him saying that he had the photos. Right. and I remember him cutting a promo going like, oh, you should see where the staples are, you know, and it was like, I didn't get it, but I was so invested in it. I knew that this bad man was saying something terrible about someone else's wife, you know? And I was like, why would you do this? You're terrible. This is like, they love each other. And then, you know, the iconic moment of him lifting her up and putting him on his her shoulder at the end of it all and carrying away. I, I, I watched the Dark Side of the Ring documentary and just wept. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, yeah. How dare you take this from me, real life? Um, which is basically covers everything ever. But mm. the Miss Elizabeth <laughs> Ric Flair, Randy Savage storyline was huge for me. Huge. Because it had such real stakes. Um, and they all did such good work. I, I, I loved it. You're making me tempted to go back and like, because I have seen nothing from that era of wrestling if it's a match around rick flair you're not going to get a bad match you're not going to get bad storytelling but it's just done so well plus bonus points for 80s looks mm. which <laughs> i'm a fan so beautiful thank you you're very welcome there's going to be a lot more to talk about Lindsay's going to hang out with us as we go through bob's breakdown and lament with us when we ring the bell <gasps> for one of our favorite friends here in nxt oh my god this one's gonna hurt Oh, just so you know. No, I don't The person like this. we're saying goodbye to this time. Yeah. Okay. Lindsay's also going to join us for the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. For the first time ever, we are not doing a cheap pop quiz this week. That segment will return on our next episode, but we do have to get the answers to last episode's cheap pop quiz before we can do any of this. As a reminder, we're currently in our fifth round of quizzing. Every time Bob answers 10 questions correctly, they get to make me read a romance novel and talk about it in a bonus episode. For this round, Bob is currently sitting at four points. See if they got any more. Question number one. It's time to make some predictions about what happens at NXT Arrival. For one thing, The Ascension will be defending their tag team championship on the show. But instead of asking you whether they're going to win, I would much rather ask you about the nature of their opponents. What sort of tag team do The Ascension take on at Arrival? 
Is it A, another fucking jobber tag team? B, a main roster tag team? C, the current reigning tag team champions, the New Age Outlaws, a team consisting of old dudes who were popular during the Attitude Era? D, a different team of old dudes who were popular during the Attitude Era? Or E, a debuting tag team from the independent scene because Jesus fuck NXT needs more tag teams? Mm. Bob, you went with that last one. Uh, very reasonable and optimistic of you. Yeah. They do need more tag teams. They did not get one in this case. The answer was D, a different team of old dudes who were popular during the Attitude Era, as we will discuss. Okay. Question number two. Another match that hasn't been announced yet, but that does take place at Arrival, is Tyler Breeze taking on Xavier Woods. How does that match end? A. Breeze wins cleanly. B. Woods wins cleanly. C. Breeze wins with the help of his new manager, Sylvester Lafort. D. Woods wins after Breeze is distracted by Enzo and Cass, kicking off a new feud between them. Or E. Neither man wins because Rusev shows up about 30 seconds into the match and kicks the living shit out of both of them. I think 30 seconds was uh, optimistic. That mm -hmm. was the right answer. Not the one you chose, the Bob. You went with D, the one with Enzo and Cass. That would have been fun. And question number three. There are three primary matches that NXT has been building to. Sami Zayn versus Cesaro, Emma versus Paige for the women's title, and Bo versus Neville for the NXT title. I asked you, Bob, who you thought was going to win all three of those matches. Uh, there were eight different answers based on the various combinations. You went with Sammy, Emma, and Neville. Yeah. That was not correct. I was a fool. I was so optimistic. <laughs> uh, the correct answer, I th you know what? Let's just get into it. Let's just find out as we go through Bob's breakdown. Yes. All right, match one. So Sami Zayn comes out in new ring gear, and it's the one with all the flags from everywhere he's wrestled and the Arabic yes. characters on the butt. And yes. if you remember... Hashtag butt watch. Yes, butt watch. Butt watch. If you remember many turns of the moon past, we actually talked about this exact ring gear and the analysis of it in the scholarly article by J.H. Roberts titled Don't Call Me White, Fashioning Sami Zayn's Arabic and Transnational Identity. This isn't the best place, but there isn't really a better place to ask, are inflection points in wrestling usually when wrestlers choose to debut new ring gear? In addition to that, as they get more status and kind of, I guess, to some measure, independence, are they allowed to get more freedom with their ring gear to wear things that sort of highlight parts of their identity that might otherwise be overwritten or ignored? I'm thinking really specifically of uh, Bianca Belair's ring gear that really like uplifts blackness. And like, that's very, you know, in this climate, very political statement, WWE has been cool with it. And I'm so happy for her because fuck yes, she should get to wear that ring gear. My understanding is that they get more leeway as they get more successful mm, yeah. is what I have been told. Okay. So you have to get ring gear approved. Oh. Or at least some people do. <gasps> you can't mm -hmm. just be like, I'm coming out in this this week, which is why, dare we speak his name, there was drama over Velveteen Dreams ring gear when he wore the Call Me Vince tights. Right, Call Me that, up Vince, yeah. Yeah, that Triple H claimed not to know about. Um, <laughs> we don't know if that's true or not, but he claimed in the post-match uh, press call uh, that he didn't know about that. And he was like, well, we'll see what someone thinks about that because they got a pop for it. So I'm sure it was okay, but is it okay? This is the company that's not known for 
rewarding you for putting yourself over. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think what I've been told and people I've talked about this because I find ring gear fascinating yeah. is you... Some people will change it when they have a tide change in their career. We saw Biggie posting about his new ring gear a couple of weeks ago when he had his title match. So he had new gear for that moment. And other people have to get new gear to make the action figure look new. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that's a real thing. That's a thing that they tell each other supposedly that like try and mix your gear up once a year so that you're going to get a new action figure because they get money every time they get a new action figure. But then you've also got people like Finn Balor who are just like, this is, I wear black panties (laughs) and that's 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 what I do. Uh, (laughs) But it's Finn Balor, like, you know, he's iconic. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. So uh, yeah, I find gear fascinating. I loved Sammy in that gear. It just felt so genuine and authentic and I loved it. That's my favorite Sammy. Mm. Also, can we mention how fucking ripped Sammy was at this yeah. point? God, yeah. yeah. Like, I don't want to make this weird. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's a horny, it weird. horny no, podcast. It's, yeah. it's going to get pretty horny later on. So thank <laughs> you for- This was a horny old match. Yeah, This was. was a hot and horny match. <laughs> this was. was two big strapping fellas yeah. just like slapping man meat. Again, to quote my friend Biggie. That's like, right. yes. Big meaty men slapping meat. <sighs> uh, Sammy was ripped and like his hair and his beard were on point. Yeah. And Cesaro always looks like a Greek god. So, you know, like they both looked amazing. I will say that a lot of the time you will see the debut of, I don't know about new, like new ring gear, but like these big shows, like the big live specials, takeovers and like pay-per-views, you'll see wrestlers like doing kind of cool things with their outfits or their entrances just because it's like a special event. Well, thank you guys for that context. Cesaro comes out with the sad noodle flag wrapped around him like a cravat. <laughs> so point one. Cesaro should wear a cravat all the time. Point two, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> and the tone of the match is set when Cesaro and Zayn lock up and then Cesaro lifts him up and pancakes Zayn on his face, punctuating yep. it with this dismissive slap to the back of the head and like, oh, so it's going to be like that. Okay, that makes sense. Disrespectful, but that makes sense. So Zayn flies at Cesaro for head scissors and got those thighs cranking Cesaro's neck and Cesaro just stops his momentum and drops him to the mat to set up the swing on Zane. But Zane starts doing panicky little shit, 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 <laughs> kicks. And then through sheer zanefulness, like Cesaro offers him the tiniest bit of leverage. Like I can't calculate it because I don't know physics, but uh, one picogram, there we go, of leverage. And he somehow from the ground does a backflip onto his feet. How is he a person? <laughs> and then Cesaro ends up on the outside and Zane does his big old, you know, starfish spread of a flip over the top rope onto Cesaro. They spill to the ramp and the this is awesome chant begins. We are about three minutes into the match. Yeah. This is a theater nerd question, I suppose. But one of the things that I love about wrestling is that there is this direct give and take with the audience that is often nuance like it's not just this passive consumption of your tennessee's william the audience is foundational to the whole thing so that said do people get really scoffy and go doing the this is awesome chant too early or too often is pandering it diminishes the weight of honor that is the this is awesome chant i ask because people get this way about standing ovations in theater and they're like yeah I've definitely been sat at home before and been like, I don't think we need to be chanting fight forever right now. Um, You know, I think they do, but I think when it's earned, you feel it in your guts. And every moment of this match is a this is awesome chant. True. So I feel it. It is a weird one, isn't it? Because yeah, when you're watching it at home, 
it's kind of like, come on, like, is everything awesome? But I know when you're at the events, like, you are just swept away when something is as good as this. Mm. And you are one with the crowd. And you're like, yes, I'm part of this. I'm part of this. I'm telling them they're awesome. Yeah. It's weird, too, I think, when you're watching some other companies. like, Like, I remember watching Impact, like... Especially like the days when Impact was really going down the toilet. The crowd was so seemed so desperate to like still be relevant. They'd start and this is awesome yeah. chain the first like immediately for like every match. And <laughs> oh, you're going like, guys, no. stop trying so hard. Like this is yeah. not awesome. It's okay. <laughs> I think people start treating it as though it's part of their contract of being there. Like they're waiting yeah. for their moment to do it. Um, it's always interesting to me at WrestleMania when you get it, having been to a bunch of WrestleManias now because they are so fucking long and it is a marathon, not a sprint, you guys. And they <laughs> everyone comes out of the blocks so hot. And like in the prelim matches before the events even started and everyone's screaming and chanting, this is awesome and fight forever and both these guys and what in the middle of every promo and everyone's no. got all of their chants oh lined up. And then by the third match, they are destroyed. Oh, and so no. you can't keep up this momentum. Maybe instead of going in with your pocket full of chants, <laughs> we wait till something is awesome. Right. Call me crazy. <laughs> oh, um, man. But yeah, there's definitely a faction of fans who go to chant who go to do that to be yeah. that person okay. it's like the people who before the match starts when you go to a live event there are the people that just start doing the rick flair woo because oh. they just went to have their voice heard that's why they're there that's part of it for them uh. that's part of their joy and they are not me but i'm not gonna <laughs> yuck their yum yeah but i'm like i'm like you sir are gonna burn out around 45 minutes into tonight's event and i shall be pleased <laughs> uh but some people go to make that noise just they go to hear their own voices says me who has two podcasts and is appearing on a third I mean, why don't they just make a podcast i was gonna say exactly exactly <laughs> so cesaro gathers up zane and just starts like throwing him around like Sami Zayn is a cheap steak and Cesaro has a unique approach to tenderizing. And Zayn rallies and he's going to do it. He's going to do that leap between the ropes at Cesaro that he did in the two out of three falls match. And I'm like, ah, he's going to do the thing. I loved it when he did the thing. And so he lines it up and he flies through the ropes only to be met by an uppercut. And I'm just going, oh my God. Because in that moment, I had this overpowering awe, maybe for the first time ever in all of my wrestle watching which is not that much for the kind of physical storytelling that wrestling represents and why it's actually worth it to be familiar with the work of wrestlers beyond just one match between them but to have like a sense of the scope and history and that there is actually a years-long narrative spinning out and that the spots have a direct role in advancing those narratives and so i was like oh oh, I got a thing about the medium. And I was curious because I feel like every time I think I get wrestling or even intellectually get some of wrestling, I'm then blindsided by this new appreciation for how multi-layered it is. And I wanted to ask, do either of you still get moments like that, even after all these years of wrestling watching where you're like, oh my God, I understand this new thing about how the medium functions or about how the stories are told? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a storyteller. That's that's my job. I tell stories for a living. And that's my favorite thing about it. That's why I always say to people, it's my soap opera. Like, you look at the Kenny Omega Koto Ibushi story in New Japan. Oh and 10 years of storytelling. And every time they a move occurs, whether it's in their matches together, whether it's in their singles matches against each other or against other opponents, every time Kenny uses a Kamagoye, which is Kota's move, or every time Kota uses a one-winged angel, you're like, oh, my God, they're like 
when they need each other's powers, they use each other's oh moves. It's so beautiful. Oh. It's so beautiful. Watching Wrestle Kingdom that just happened, Wrestle Kingdom 15. You watch those two Kota Ibushi title matches. I've been watching New Japan a long time and I'm a huge Kota Ibushi fan. So I watch them as the culmination of his whole career, mm -hmm. that they are remarkable matches. I watch them with my husband who doesn't watch a ton of New Japan. He's a very new wrestling fan. I apologize to his family for what I've done to him. Mm -hmm. That's why we had to get married. I'm like, I'll take him. I did it. I broke it. I broke it. I buy it. Um, but we watched it and he was like, oh, I like the Naito match because a lot happened. But then the Jay White match, I thought was kind of dull. I'm like, but it only makes sense on that multi-layered level. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, he wrestled last night for half an hour. So to have to wrestle again tonight for 45 mm -hmm. minutes, and then Jay White took the psychological route to the match. Like he wore him down. He kept making him jump in and out the ring. He just kept going for body parts. It wasn't flashy. It wasn't fancy until, you know, Gato starts to interfere. And then even that's another layer of stories. And all the time you're watching Kota, like, is he going to need to do a Kenny move? Like, is right. he thinking of Kenny? Because they're inseparable. The storylines are intertwined. And it's that level of attention to detail is why I love wrestling. And that exactly what you're saying. Like every time I see Cesaro pull out that uppercut, do your spin, do your little spin. I love <laughs> your little spin. The kids like to count. Wrestling fans fucking love counting. They do. If I ever was a wrestler, the first thing I would do would come up with a move that includes counting yeah. because they like putting their hands in the air and we like counting. I say they, I mean we. They love a count, love it. Um, so they like the spin because they get to count. But that uppercut to me is Cesaro in a move. It's all of his power. It's all of his force. It's sheer brutality, mm -hmm. but it's so elegant when he does it. It is. He's so elegant. And how can a man that big and that powerful be so elegant? I mean, it's remarkable. This is why he's the other romance novel hero. God is. Yeah. Sure. Exactly. <sighs> Put him in a suit. He's a billionaire. He's a billionaire CEO that, you know, works out at night to overcome his childhood traumas. Oh my God. <laughs> this is who he is. This is who he is. And then he bare knuckle boxes on the weekends because that's the only way he can deal with it. I'm going to, oh God, I just go like lay on a fainting couch forever now <laughs> thinking about I'll send you some smelling salts through Uber. So it'll be fine. Thank you. I think the other thing is this that wrestlers keep innovating and like the, the performers keep finding new ways to tell stories and they keep finding new layers and, and they keep adding on and building on the history of wrestling, not just the history of their own feuds and their relationships with one another, but like the history of wrestling. They know we know, you mm -hmm. know, and the way they know we think about wrestling. I never lose that feeling of like, oh my God, I, I think about this a completely different way because people like Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi just completely changing what I could conceive of as being a thing you can do within this medium. It's really unique in, in that regard, and that's why you never really lose that. So the crowd is chanting, holy shit, and William Regal is putting over the narrative weight of the moment. But Cesaro, he doesn't really have time for any of this. He needs to get to work screwing Sami Zayn's knee open like it is a recalcitrant jar of sauerkraut. So Zayn <laughs> spills Cesaro to the outside and it's like, I don't know, maybe Zayn can make something happen. He goes for that perfect little butt bounce backflip off the top rope to try and yeah, take the, Cesaro down. What's that thing called? Yeah. It's a springboard moonsault, I think. I think there's a specific name for it, oh, okay. but it's a moonsault. Um, butt bounce. I'm going to make myself, again, deeply unpopular. I feel like knowing all of the names of the moves, because that's not my skill set, it's gatekeeping. And I think fans are like, oh, you don't get it because you don't know all the names. It's like, you don't need to know all the names of all the moves. You just need to love the thing that they do. I agree. I love the names, but like... 
I can't remember everything. I'm a busy lady. I find it useful because it's so hard to describe sometimes what they're doing. And it's like, especially if it's mm-hmm. one of the weird, complicated things where you're yeah. like, how do I describe that to another person? And like the fact that it has another name is always handy. And then, or if it has a really dumb name, like Shining Wizard, because that's great. <laughs> and I know they need to know the names because they got to yeah. learn the moves. But uh, like, I don't think it makes you less of a fan if you can't remember the names of the moves. Totally um, agree. Totally just agree. putting it out there for people who have trouble with details, like... Mm, well, me. and there's too many <laughs> names of things. There's so many names. Plus, some people have different names for the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, depending on which wrestling tradition you come out of. And right? it's just it's exactly. nonsense. You just, he did a flippy thing. It's fine. Exactly. Yeah. We love flippy shit. So he does that backflip thing and Cesaro just catches him and then just slams him back first onto the ramp like, meh. And Zane crawls his way back to the ring and it looks like Cesaro is just going to rampage into him. But Zane grabs him and suplexes him directly into the turnbuckles. Zane does some big moves on Cesaro. Maybe his finisher. Like, I don't know if that was his finisher. Am I supposed to keep track of what people's finishers are? I know sometimes they're very narratively important. <laughs> I mean, it's nice yeah. to help with, yeah, narrative-wise, because you're like, oh my god, he's setting up for the finisher. That means he thinks he's going to win. So it either means they are going to win, or they're setting up because they think they're going to win. Okay. So it's kind of like, they're edging you. It's, it's like, oh, I'm seeing, yeah. I'm seeing a finisher. We're Thank nearly you. there. And it's like, no, you're not. Thank <laughs> you for putting this into terms that are deeply <laughs> meaningful to me. It's weird with Sammy because when we first met him, when he first came in, he was doing that tornado DDT. And mm-hmm. they never really gave it a name. He did it a few times, but like his finisher functionally now is that big kick in the corner that he hits on okay. Cesaro later in the match. Yeah, the Haluva kick. Haluva kick. It's spelled hell of a kick, which yeah. would make more sense, but it's pronounced Haluva kick. Right, oh. because, it's, because it's Sammy. <laughs> yeah, All why right. not? Zane does one of his moves anyway that he does a lot. And then Cesaro is now down the mat and he locks in the Koji clutch, which I can't really describe it except to say if you were looking to do some oral sex, but you also really wanted to make sure that your knees felt included in the proceedings. Like you're just going, <laughs> I don't want the left knee to feel left out of this. So you're like, okay. That's someone's thing. If yeah, your partner has a thing. knee fetish, yeah. Yeah. They're just like, look, I cannot enjoy this unless I have a knee right next to me. And you're like, baby, <laughs> I got you covered. The Koji clutch is here for you. Cesaro breaks the hold and after some back and forth gets Cesaro into the swing and it is the best because Zane is like scrambling like this little panicked hamster trying to reach Cesaro as he's being <laughs> swung around. It's all ratcheting up and they take some these quick pin attempts and like, oh, this fucking merch. If I could talk about everything they do, I would talk about everything that they do. Zane throws Cesaro across with the power of his thighs and gravity alone at one point as a counter to what looked like the most terrifying power bomb ever. Oh, like, off the top, yeah. Yeah, uh, so much of this is so good. Just watch the match. Watch the match, is amazing. He goes for the big boot and the pin and he ran on that fucked up sauerkraut knee of his, but no, uppercut from Cesaro, another uppercut, and then stay down, he screams. Oh man, gimmick infringement there on Corey Graves. Um <laughs> So they get into this arm throwing competition and Zane counters the neutralizer and I screamed. And then they do that high flying Cirque du Soleil oral sex and I scream and right. Cesaro throws Zane into the air and uppercuts him and does like this discus uppercut thing that almost cuts Zane in half and Cesaro leaps into the neutralizer. He pins Zane one, two, and Zane does that little weak leg His kick. Leg. Fucking yeah. love. And then it's three and Cesaro one. 
And I was so sad because I really wanted Sammy to win because I wanted him to be happy. And then Miles, I (laughs) got the greatest (laughs) gift of all. I got Hurt Comfort fanfic on my goddamn screen. (laughs) Like, well, Zane is crouching there. He looks near tears. And Cesaro is on the ramp like, yes, I am your god. Yes, you may worship me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then he looks at Zane, like Zane looking so wrung out and like beautiful and noble but pathetic at the same time like Shakespearean levels of both of these things and he heads back into the ring and he stands in front of Zane and Zane's like what no you know you don't have to respect me it's fine it's fine you're the best big old sniffs (laughs) and then Cesaro just pulls him up and pulls him into a hug And I felt it in all four chambers of my heart. And then I created a fifth chamber that just said feels on it. (laughs) And we are 30 minutes into arrival. That was the opening fucking match. You got to feel for the people who came on after these guys. What are you going to do? Yeah, I just feel like everyone else was sat backstage with the like sweatpants on over their gear. And they're like, do do we got to? Do, do we really, really got it? And it's like, you kind of do, because they yeah. paid you to be here, but I'm very sorry. <laughs> Hugely apologize. Yeah. One thing that, uh, that you didn't mention, uh, Bob, is that Cesaro hits the big uppercut. He throws Zane into the air and hits the big uppercut on him, which was basically the move that he used to finish him off in the two out of three falls match. He did that and then he hit the neutralizer and won. But in this match, he does it. He oh. goes to pin Sammy before hitting the neutralizer and Sammy kicks out at one. Yeah. And let me tell you. A late match kick out at one is like my single favorite thing in wrestling. It's so cheeky. The lack of respect in a kick out at one. (laughs) We love to see it. And in the context of this match, which is just like, there's no real traditional match structure to this one. It's just Cesaro beating the piss out of him for a while and Sammy refusing every time to go down, to stay down. And he keeps fighting and he keeps fighting and he keeps fighting. And like, for it to be punctuated with that kick out at one, it's like, no, fuck you. And then the look on Cesaro's face right before he like continues to kill him and wins the match anyway. But just the look on his face just feeds so perfectly into the moment after the match where Zayn finally has won Cesaro's respect. And <laughs> God damn it. I love this match. <laughs> I know. It's, it's so, so great. I just think it would be really interesting for people who are watching wrestling now and weren't watching NXT then. I would love everyone alive who hasn't seen it before to go back and see it and see what two of the greatest wrestlers who are employed by WWE are capable of. Because yeah. we don't get to see this very often and they can both put this on any day of the week. I yep. know. Uh, it's Absolutely. like and the fact that they're not being allowed to do that is obscene. Now we get match two, and boy, just a wet fart sound, I guess, in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's CJ Parker versus Mojo Rowley. Uh, did I know this was coming? Like, did they mention no, ahead of you, time? No, they did not at all. Okay, no. I feel a little bit like I should have been warned that it was coming. <laughs> like, it was fine. Okay, spoiler alert nothing bananas happens. However, it is, I think, the first time that we're seeing heel wrestling from CJ Parker. Yeah, because he just turned heel a couple episodes prior. Okay, so I was like, oh, maybe this will be interesting. Oh, reader, I was a fool. Um, (laughs) Basically, all they do is Mojo Raleigh dominates the early part of the match doing some of that arm submission stuff until Parker battles back and starts raining down blows on Mojo Raleigh and using the corners to corral him. 
and he doesn't corral him enough because, you know, Raleigh gets back in control within maybe two minutes. It's really less than two minutes. Does those enormous flying body slams that he's really good at. Gets Parker down the mat. Does that butt dunk to the chest that he calls hyperdrive for no discernible mm-hmm. reason. And pins him and it's over. I have questions. Like, we haven't seen Mojo Raleigh in ages, really. I think right. this has, like, been, I don't know, eight episodes since we've seen Mojo Raleigh. Yeah, that match with Bo, right? I think it was the last time we saw him. Why is he relevant now, all these weeks later? And also, am I going <laughs> to develop a fondness for Mojo Raleigh? Or is it just going to be weary tolerance forever because i feel like there's something there i'm supposed to get but i don't know what it is i think i think what's really cute is you could take the statement and the questions you just gave and uh, apply them to today and they would remain uh entirely relevant so just know that just hold that in your heart and know that you don't need to give up any space in that fifth chamber for this man okay yeah you're not gonna have to think that hard about whether or not you like mojo raleigh going forward (laughs) If anyone has ever spent more than four minutes of their life thinking specifically about how they feel with regards to Mojo Raleigh, I will give them a pep talk. They can contact me directly and I will help them. Maybe Rob Gronkowski? I'm not helping him. (laughs) (laughs) He can't help himself. So I'll be damned if I'm going to do it. But uh, yeah, unless it's Mojo himself or Rob Gronkowski, no, let this one go with grace. Don't worry about it. All right. Good to know. Match number three. I'm so excited. My vampire husbands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have a mystery opponent. Turns out it's Grandmaster Sexay and Scotty Tuhati, which I don't know what I was picturing when they said those names, but I <laughs> don't think it was the two people who walked out because like I can't describe to you with any specificity what they look like other than to say they looked like uncles. Yeah. <laughs> uncles, but uncles. The match gets underway, and after knocking Victor, Sexay does the running man. Yeah, these are definitely uncles. We have uncles on board here. I'm going to hit pause right now and ask, who are these two guys? Is it a big deal that they're here? Like, if I was in the know, (laughs) would I be super into this? Or is this just NXT going like, look who we found hanging out by the dumpster. Get in here because we don't have a tag team division. From my perspective, it's a little from column A and a little from column B. Um, Because I don't care about them. I'm not a massive nostalgia pop gal Mm. doesn't really do it for me i think because i took that massive break and missed the entire attitude era thank god yeah uh i don't care about people when they bring them back because i'm like oh okay even when sting popped up in WWE the first time around i was like that's cool um, right. And apparently I that was a crime against Godman and wrestling. But I'm like, <laughs> I didn't watch him. I didn't know. So I, I respect his legacy and what he's done, but I it doesn't emotionally mean anything to me. And I think unless nostalgia pop matches emotionally do something for you, there is nothing in it. Because mm. you know they're not going to win in this situation. You know they're right. not going to play into the storylines going forwards. So to me, it's like, oh, I could have seen a really cool match with talented people. And instead, I saw (laughs) my dad's two friends from work that my mom asked him to stop bringing over uh, because they never want to leave and they eat everything in the fridge. I thought about doing one of our trading card segments for these guys, but really the little 
video they show you before they get in the ring kind of tells you everything you need to know. They're these two dudes who wrestle in the Attitude Era, and I I didn't even come to wrestling until, like, immediately after the Monday Night Wars ended, because I came in at, like, 2001, so, like, you know, right after WCW folded and they started doing the Invasion Angle. That was my introduction to wrestling. You know, and Tuchel was around, but, like, their heyday had kind of already passed. They were just these two guys who, like, danced and didn't really wrestle super well. Uh, Grandmaster Sexay is the or was he's dead now um but uh was the son of uh jerry the king lawler incidentally Mm. he didn't last a a very long after the monday night wars were over this was his return to wrestling oh wow but scotty too hotty was around for a while and like you know he would come out for the royal rumble and get eliminated real quick after doing the worm and that was it like what you saw in the match was their whole thing they okay they exist entirely so that scotty can do the whole setup to the worm thing and that's all all right yeah like i have no problem with it it's just it's not for me parts of wrestling are for you and parts of wrestling are for not and that is how everything works right so Mm. it's like you know this one wasn't for me but it was for someone and good for them I yeah. now understand what AEW is built around. Okay. <laughs> yes. It's literally. A- absolutely. <laughs> an entire promotion is this match. Yeah. Just yeah. like, Nailed remember it. when? And you're like, no, <laughs> but all right. So <laughs> That's what they should put on their t-shirts. <laughs> you just literally nailed their entire brand premise. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I'm going to say this for sex A. He sells everything the Ascension does better than kind of anybody has sold any of their stuff in ages. And Victor is working sexy over and the we want ya chant starts. And I felt really bad for Victor. But Sky Two Hotties tagged in, lands a hit on Victor and does what I guess is, I don't know, maybe the electric slide. But like if there was some static happening. So sure. kind of a twitchy one. So Scotty jumps on Victor's back and slams him face first into the mat. And then there's this close up on Scotty doing some big old Dexter Loomis eyes. And (laughs) now he does something that I'm going to try and describe it. It's sort of like if somebody, it was a panto and they were like, okay, we have to do this special thing for a magical spell. And you're like, okay. Or if it was some Calvin ball rules and you're like, okay. He stands over Victor, waves his arms one way, then the other way, then hops on one leg in a wide half circle. The crowd is going apeshit. He does the worm towards the fallen Victor. Then when he's almost there, stands up, does the arm swings again, goes for a move that is like, I don't know, maybe a headbutt or something. No, it's a fucking chop. It's just a chop. What? Oh, I'm angry. I'm angry now. I don't care for this. So but Victor catches him, flings him into the ropes, which is fair enough, really. Follows it up with a clothesline on Scotty, tags in Connor. Connor knocks him down. They line up the fall of man. Connor pins him for the win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Anything you guys want to say about that match? I think we no. can move on. <laughs> okay. I do want to say about the Ascension in general. I feel like getting an Ascension match at any point is like eating popcorn because it's enjoyable to me anyway. It's not super satisfying. Like, I get that no. not every match needs to be a three-course meal, but it would be nice sometimes if the Ascension didn't feel like eating a handful of pecans on your way out the door. I mean, again, it'd be one thing if they had a tag team division, but yeah. they literally have one tag team at this point. That's all they have, because they broke up Graves and Neville, and the Wyatt family moved on, and... 
they didn't sign uh, uh, John Cahill and Derek Billington, the American <laughs> Pitbulls, that one time they were here. So, yeah, they have one tag team. They're like, oh, God, I guess we have to get our tag champs on the show. Um, somebody want to call Lawler's son? <laughs> See if oh he's still around. God. But don't call Lola. No. <laughs> as long as you don't call Lola, yeah. it's fine. So Stephanie McMahon comes out to talk about the Divas division, uh, you know, mm-hmm. how the word diva is empowering, etc. I'm like, mm, okay, sure. Sure, yep. Bigger point. I know I said that Triple H looks like the cover of one of those, you're damn right, I fuck the stern withholding CEO romances. But right. like, so does Stephanie, and I'm kind of into it. She wore that dress a lot. And I yeah. will always mark out for that dress. I'm like, hell of a dress, Steph. Hell of a dress. Yes. Good work. The hair needs work, but the dress, banging. Much like my complicated feelings about Randy Orton, I don't like that I have these feelings and I, I'm <laughs> ashamed of them, but I, you have the boner you have, I guess. If it That's makes right. you feel any better, I've met Stephanie a few times. She is who she is for a reason. She is incredible at her job. Like they did a whole like three day event for journalists during um, when they had Evolution, the women's pay per view, the women's Mm. only pay per view. And I went to New York for that, and she gave everyone the brand presentation, like the real behind the scenes brand presentation. She did her day job. She was like chief brand officer, and she's amazing. And one person was like, "Can we take a photo with you?" Didn't want to do it because you're not. It's not cool when you're the journalist to be like, Mm. "Can I take a photo?" But one person was brave enough to say, "Can I take a photo?" And she was like, "Oh my god, are you kidding me? I want to get a photo with all of you guys. I I want to get a photo." So like, she had the PR guy line everyone up so she could spend time with every journalist and just take a quick photo. And I was like, I don't want to do this. I'm embarrassed. This is weird. And then as I lined up, I know the PR and he was like, oh, Lindsay writes books. She just like put a book out. She's like, oh my God, I can't believe you would tell me she wrote books when you didn't get me a copy of the book. Like, can you get me one? Can you get me one? And I'm like, I can get you one. She's like, no, he can can go get one. He can go to Barnes & Noble and get it right now. That's so cool. And I was like, I know who you are in your soul, but I am falling for every moment of this. And I love you. She's so good. And then I saw her later on, like we ran into each other when we weren't supposed to be talking. I was waiting for someone and she was going by and she's like, oh, hey, Lindsay, cool boots. And then like stopped to give me a hug and kept going. And I'm like, you're a sociopath, but you're an amazing sociopath. <laughs> like, oh she my remembered my name. God. She was like made a point of a personal compliment. It's straight up you've read every book on being the best CEO in the world. Wow. But it feels so natural and so good. And it's like, there's a reason that they are as successful as they are. And it's not just because they're ruthless, moralless <laughs> monsters. They're so good at what they do. I remember watching this for the first time and she comes to the ring and the crowd starts chanting, you still got it. And she says, ladies and gentlemen, I never lost it. And the crowd pops like hell. And I was I was like, yeah, yeah, me too. She's so good. My husband always remembers. He came with me to one of the WrestleManias and was my cameraman. Like he works in film. So he, he ran the camera for me one time and we interviewed her like with a big group. And as she finished up, uh, she was like, okay, you guys, because everyone was like, we love you, Stephanie. Thank you so much for your time. And then she's like, okay, you guys, this was fun. But you remember when I come out there later, I'm the bad guy. And I want you to boo me as loud as you can. If you don't boo me, I'm going to be super upset. And I think it's fascinating how smart she is and how she's so good at separating the personal from the professional. She wants you to boo her. She knows you hate her. She knows that. She knows the fans hate her, but she knows the marks hate her too. So she's just like, okay, go for it. Hate me. I'm not yeah. going to stay awake at night crying about it. I'm going to ask you to boo me louder. I just think it's so smart. I My ego is paper thin. I'm like, yeah, I same. would die. I could not do it. And I know other people in wrestling who struggle with it. People who are like, oh, I find it really hard that people boo me and they hate me and, and I don't know why. 
she's just like, yeah, go for it. Do it louder. Boomy louder. She knows and she goes for it. And whatever you feel about her, their business practices, whatever, like she is so good at what she does. It's like, yeah, it's so frustrating with Vince because with Vince, it's like, oh, you're a terrible person. And also you're bad at this. And like when you when you watch NXT, (laughs) it's like. I objectively know that this is being put together by people who are like ruthless business folk who don't care about me, but like they're really good at making me think they do care about me. So, okay. Even in in this time period, like Triple H opened the show. We didn't even mention him. He he kicks off the show with a little, are you ready action? And Stephanie's coming out here to introduce the women's match, talking about like women breaking down barriers and stuff. And it's like during the same period, they're on raw as the authority keeping Daniel Bryan down. They're like white hot heels. It still amazes me to this day how they could go and do that. But they come to NXT and everybody just knows it's their baby. So we just accept. OK, cool. Like, yeah. we love this thing that you made. That's wild. Yeah. I just find them fascinating. This is why when people say to me and they're like, oh, my God, how can you like wrestling? Like, how can you not? Like, yeah, there are so many different factions and parts and layers. If you love the politics of it, you can love the business of it. You can love the soap opera of it. You can love the athleticism of it. You can love so much. But I just find the McMahon family alone Fascinating. Utterly fascinating. There, Agreed. I, I am obsessed with the idea of Triple H and Stephanie and then like having Randy Orton as like their pet sub. Just because he's like their, <laughs> their mean, little attack dog. I'll read it. You write it. I'll read it. <laughs> you know, I'm not too well, proud. <laughs> Match four. So Emma dances out with all the bubbles and those adorable air stabs and Paige comes out and She's amazing as she always is, but also she was wearing lipstick and I don't really want to get caught up in discussing what the women look like, but it just really threw me because I'd never seen her wearing it before. Yeah. And so I was just like, what happened? You've never done it before. Did somebody tell you you needed to? Did you want to do it? Did they tell you, hey, the you're going to be... the beginning of the Soraya lipstick empire? Is this what we're seeing right now? Yeah. Is that it? <laughs> Is that the first moment? And the poor girl gets it on her teeth. I know. I felt, so, yeah. I felt bad I for felt her. Because whoever so set her bad. up with that lipstick... Like, they did not help her out. I know. I was like, you've been really let down, Paige. Shouldn't it have been black? I feel like it should have been black. I don't, I don't know. know. If you have skin that pale, sometimes black lipstick will bring out, like, yellow undertones or green undertones. And she's got very, like, mm. thin lips at that point, too. I, it wouldn't have been flattering. I see what you're saying. It would have been character building. Mm, yeah. I feel like now it would be black because now that's the thing that people do. <laughs> like yeah, black sure. That makes is, sense. You can only have two different kinds of lipstick in NXT right now and it's purple or black. Like, that's all they have. <laughs> I just want everybody to look like Rhea Ripley. Is that so wrong? <laughs> no, oh, that's man. not wrong. And I will fight anyone that tells you that it God, is. God, <laughs> I think we we all want to look like Rhea Ripley, don't we? Like, isn't that just Absolutely. what every person yes, please. wants? If you could wave a wand planet? and make me look like Rhea Ripley, I would take you up on that instantly. God. <laughs> So Emma does this flirty little look and Paige like practically growls at her and they lock up and it's some counter wrestling. There's like all this grapples and Paige gets her arm locked around Emma's head and neck and they're rolling around the mat and these cute, sexy pythons and they separate (laughs) and Paige is in the corner and Emma does a totally unnecessary little spy movie somersault to the opposite corner and I love it so much and so she's going to run at Paige for that crossbody the Emma sandwich but Paige counters Emma tries for the Emma lock but Paige escapes it and then just dribbles Emma's head on Paige's knee like her head is a hacky sack and then Emma does the dilemma and then when the ref breaks it up Emma somersaults away again and then pops up with her little mantis strip hands ready to poke somebody. 
And then she runs at the crumpled page and gets her in the Emma sandwich this time. Emma gets Paige in a hold with her arms stretched back straight behind her, wrenching those shoulders. And Emma adds insult to injury, pressing her feet into Paige's back. And Emma pulls out something new. She pulls Paige up and just like pikes her legs straight up with Paige balanced on the bottom of Emma's feet. And Paige is dangling there, feet barely touching the ground, her arms stretched painfully. The best way I can describe it is if as a child, an adult ever did like airplane with you where you're like balancing on their <laughs> feet within their like sort of holding your arms so you can be like, yeah, I'm like an airplane or a superhero that but backwards and painful. <laughs> Emma Makes releases sense. her and tries for a pin, but Paige battles to her feet again and tries to throw Emma into the turnbuckle. No dice. Instead, they both get to the top rope and Emma, Emma flips over Paige, gets underneath her, and gets Paige crotch to face for a powerbomb. And the commentary team is like, what? A woman doing a powerbomb? We thought they didn't have the technology. Like, (laughs) was it just they'd never seen some woman do a powerbomb on WWE before or what? I'm fairly certain they knew they could and that (laughs) these things were physically possible. But, you know, it's nice when people notice women can do things. <laughs> like, I'll take it. Like, on, yeah, right. on the last episode, Bob, we talked about Sable because we were talking about doing some women's wrestling history. And yes. Sable actually used a powerbomb. <gasps> but I think that, like, once you got past the Attitude Era and kind of got into the Divas Era, those are the kind of moves that the women were told not to do. Mm. And one of my favorite things about this match is that Emma hits the powerbomb and the crowd immediately starts chanting better than Batista, which is amazing. <laughs> oh, I was going to ask you guys because I was like... Try our pizza? <laughs> like but Also try our pizza. Some yes. were saying better than Batista. Some were saying try our pizza. <laughs> the pizza is also better than Batista's pizza. <laughs> it's oh, true. Man. It's true. No, I love that she's so good in this. That Emma is like a powerhouse in this match. Yes! It's incredible. She's a monster in this match. Like she's just mauling Paige the whole time. I remember when I f- was first watching it being really surprised. Like, oh my God, she's taking over this thing. Yeah, Emma's like new levels of viciousness out of Emma. And I am so happy because Paige does the Paige Turner and Emma kicks out. And then we're like, oh my god emma has leveled up but then Paige also has to level up because that's how you know the pokemon world of wrestling does work is like (laughs) if your little finisher doesn't work you have to level up and become a a stronger kind of pokemon so Paige goes for a submission emma's on her stomach Paige gets emma's knees bent up and up against Paige's knees for leverage in crunching emma's back and then grabs emma's arms and pulls them hoists emma into this bow shape wrenching her whole back body and it looks nasty and cramp inducing in a way that submissions do not always look that bad because i'm like a boston crab or whatever it is i'm like nah okay i can i can live with that but this looked ugly and emma taps and then Paige hugs emma and i was so happy again (laughs) and it was fraught with all these feels and respect and i really want the fanfic now Regal calls it a scorpion cross lock is what he calls the move that Paige puts Which on Emma there. fun to say. And it's like the abiding image that I have of this show. Like Zayn Cesaro is great. Ladder matches are fun. If you say the words NXT arrival to me, the first thing that pops to my mind is Paige getting Emma into that hold because it looked so amazing. It did. And I was like, why doesn't everybody use this hold? Why is anybody using any other submission? This is the coolest yeah. one. Yeah, I mean, it became her signature, right? That's what became the PTO. The, the PTO, page tap yeah. Out, mm-hmm. um, which was so great. And yeah, this match is just, it's just very good. I mean, there's really yeah. nothing else to say. I mean, you know that Emma and Paige are good wrestlers, so you know going in that it's going to be a good match. 
But the fact that it is such a technical match and that there's so much mat wrestling and there's so much ground and pound and there's so much of Emma just, you know, they really positioned Emma as silly dancing funny Emma. That mm-hmm. was her thing. And when they take her up to the main roster, they times that by a thousand yeah. and she loses this. But her ability to just be vicious when it's needed is remarkable here. She like she does push Paige up to a next level. There are moments in it where she makes Paige look like a naive little girl. And Paige's facials are so fantastic. Yeah. You know, Paige looks so shocked and taken aback. And when she's like, but I did my thing. What do you mean it didn't work? Why is this crazy dancing lady? And Emma (sighs) looks like a bulldog. Emma looks like the look on her face. She's not there to dance. She's not there for fun. She's there to murder you. She wants that belt. Um, (sighs) And it's just so many feelings. I'm glad that you had the fifth chamber in your heart for this match and that it was ready to be filled. Yes. So, oh my God. It was important for you to have that extra capacity. I really, yeah. really was it. fantastic. It reminds me weirdly of when Cena was really big. I don't even remember who he was feuding with, but whoever he was feuding with had some submission stuff going on. And he was like, I'm going to challenge John Cena to a submission match. What's he going to do? He doesn't have any submission moves. <laughs> and that was the first time Cena locked on the basic ass STF and it became like his signature submission move going forward. This reminded me weirdly of that, where it's like Paige's not a submission specialist. But in order to beat this person, she clearly has to beat her by doing submissions and by doing mat wrestling because the page turner doesn't work. It was a great way of like leveling her up in that regard and also giving her a submission finisher, which is a wonderful thing to have in your arsenal. So it's one of my favorite things when wrestlers have like a knockout finisher because I love a finisher that genuinely looks like it would kill a bitch. Oh, like yeah. that's my favorite. I'm like, yeah. oh, that would murder you. Uh, that's why I don't like the spear because I'm like, oh, you pushed him down. Congratulations. <laughs> you, you pushed. So- I love Edge. Edge is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. But I'm like, you knocked a man down. Um, like Finn Balor's up here collapsing chests and you knocked yeah. a man down. Um, I love a murder finish, but I love when someone can mix it up and also have a submission finish that genuinely like you said like looks like it's gonna fuck you up so many submissions just look like a nice stretch yeah. Yeah. like i'll be watching it after a day at the computer and i'm like oh crack my back that looks nice like i would enjoy that <laughs> yeah um, but the pto i'm like ouchies, ouchies. yes <laughs> so that, many of the ones that i've seen i'm like I had to do that in yoga the other day. Why is anybody like, I know <laughs> that myself, all of you have to do these backstage so you can do your stuff. I know this is fine, but then there are the odd ones that you're like, Oh shit. I wouldn't enjoy that. All right. Match five. Xavier Woods comes out. The crowd is hot for it. Rightly so. They're also hot for Tyler Breeze who comes out in autumnal shades. So, you know, he's in a really pensive determined mood. And then, uh, Rusev and Lana. So Rusev storms the ring while Breeze and Woods attack him, but it's not enough. He slams his full body weight into each of them and then throws each of them to the mat. And then he does the accolade on Woods. And I'm like, stop doing the accolade on Xavier Woods, you jerk. Like, well, you're so mean to him. He's the cutest. Leave him alone. It is so sad how much of Xavier Woods' job during this period was to get his ass kicked by Rusev. Oh, it pisses me he off. He didn't even have his own music. They didn't no. even let him have his own music. He's using Brodus Clay's music. Ugh. I'm like, you're the fourth person after the Funkadactyls to be allowed this. <laughs> like, that's not kind. And then you're going to let him get his ass beat by still maybe kind of probably possibly from Russia Rusev at this point. <laughs> yeah. Like, He's getting ready to be from Russia. Oh, yeah. Oh, you've got some treats in store. Yeah, <laughs> I won't yeah. ruin it, but like those pictures they used to come out to the ring to, I'm like, woof. <laughs> Fun times. Fun times. We'll give a shout out to Lana's suits, though, because those suits were just perfection. God, yes. 
And Lana tells the people of America that Rusev is the next generation of super athletes. So I guess Rusev is going to continue to be a thing. I'm kind of ready for him to be at the main roster now because I just want him to leave my precious Muppet babies alone. <laughs> he's, he's leaving soon. Okay. He's leaving real soon. I mean, I want to like him. He's great. No one has to like Rusev. I think you just have to like chants. You have to like chanting. Okay. Um, and then you'll come to love Rusev as one of your own, and then everything will be okay. That's true. That's what did put me over big time with uh, the Ascension, the Yah chant. So maybe there just needs to be some sort of chant for Rusev that I can sink my teeth into and I'll be into it. Ironic that he's now back in your life on Dynamite. I know. Well, and now he's being mean to the best friends, and that really pisses me off. I'm like, just <laughs> why are you always being mean to my babies? It's not fair. And you see, you get the impression that he's genuinely just the nicest chap. Yeah, like, the yeah. nicest life. guy in the world. <laughs> we get a short taped segment, like Talking Heads type thing. That's just Neville and Bo assuring us that they barely even have seen a ladder before this. But, you know, they've been watching a lot of tapes and studying advanced ladder theory, which is super intriguing to me. And I didn't really get why until I thought about it from a romance perspective. And it was like, oh, the narrative is going out of its way to say both of these characters are virgins. Like we have this mutual deflowering <laughs> on deck. And I get why that's appealing to me as a consumer of romance, but I wasn't sure why wrestling wants to assure me that both of these wrestlers have their ladder maidenhead intact. Like, why was wrestling trying to go like, they've never been touched by a ladder before? It's because wrestling fans don't know that they are obsessed with romance tropes, but they are. <laughs> Rhea Ripley, Raquel Gonzalez storyline, which oh was best God. friends to enemies and then enemies to lovers. All wrestling is romance tropes. It really is. This is why it's important. And this is what wrestling fans don't realize and don't care to know. You're the perfect, perfect Venn diagram. That's what's happening here. <laughs> and promoters. Promoters don't know that's what they're selling either. So like the, when they say, I think the reason they think they're doing it is because they're like, oh, a ladder match. Ladder matches are so hardcore. And when you go through one, you your career will never be the same. And these two men have never been in one before. How will they respond to the chaos and the horror that is the ladder match? <laughs> you know, but really, they're talking talking about their virginity yeah okay okay so this is the like the trappings that need to be overlaid upon it in order to make it palatable to wrestling fans but it is ultimately just set dressing for romance tropes that's right absolutely okay so Shawn michaels comes out hbk um oh my god i forgot about this <laughs> i just gotta ask i had also forgotten about this and i felt fine about that fact did everyone want to bang him is that why he's the heartbreak kid i mean uh, there's something there according to him yeah yeah i mean okay. he's just a sexy boy are we thinking he's drunk during this segment or like what <laughs> because he has his hat pulled down super low yeah. over his eyes and he's acting like he's on something. Is he born again at this point? I, I'm just <gasps> like, has I get a lost giant in my... cross. Yeah, so I don't think he is drunk. I think he's just bad at his job. But I forget where the storyline and real life and, uh, you know, the ballad of Shawn Michaels falls on the timeline of NXT. He's not doing his best work, is he? Your best friend said go out and introduce this match. And yeah, and like sell your DVD. Oof. Yeah, but then the roar of the crowd distracted Mr. Michaels and he remembered <laughs> his glory days and he forgot why he was there. And he's like, they love me. They really love me. <laughs> uh, and he forgot to do his job. Um, that is hey, really a real summation of what happened. It's really like unbelievable to watch 
somebody who is a, an absolute legend, one of the biggest legends in the industry, just come out to a ring full of like, how many people are there? A hundred, two hundred, like, you know, something like that, a few hundred. Yeah. And just completely not know what to do because at this point he's been retired for a little while. So then things kick off for realsies. <laughs> Neville comes out, Bo comes out. The crowd is hot for the match at any rate. Not necessarily super hot for Bo Dallas, but hotter than they have been in quite some time. The belt is dangled above the ring. Ladders are positioned around the ring. Neville tries to take Dallas out immediately, and it seems like Dallas is going to do some sneaky coward heel shit. But instead, when the opportunity arises, he starts roughing up Neville and peppering his head and shoulders with forearm blows. And he tangles Neville in the ropes. And then he just leisurely heads for the ladders. And Neville is having none of that and comes at Bo. Bo gets him into the steps. But crucially, a ladder is now in the ring. Okay, ladder number <clears throat> one. Bo traps Neville's arm in the ring skirt and smacks him around. And then he grabs a ladder and runs like he's going to drive it directly into Neville's head, which definitely had me going like, oh my God, I hope he does not hit him. And Neville ducks and then a second ladder is now in the ring. All right. <clears throat> so... Neville flips Bo onto the ramp and with Bo temporarily out, Neville can set about positioning the ladder and climbing up. And then this ladder just comes flying at Neville as he is climbing one of the ladders, knocking him down. So Bo now takes the ladder, pins Neville under half of it and begins scaling. Neville knocks it over. Bo has to leap for it to avoid this ugly fall, which is like half the point of watching a ladder match is watching somebody not have a terrible fall, which is sort of like... I don't know. You're kind of there to watch somebody biff it, but also I really don't want to see anybody biff it ever. I want everybody to go home just fine. You're there to watch them pretend to biff it, but really be okay. Yeah, exactly. We'll get to that because there's a good one. Now both of them are fighting over a ladder. Bo pushes the ladder right into the ribs of Adrian Neville. Rough. One ladder is now wedged ominously into the corner. Bo wants to bounce Neville's face off of it, but Neville instead grabs Bo and does this beautiful tilt-a-whirl DDT thing, propelling himself off the ladder, sort of like walking up and along it for additional speed and leverage, and then Bo ends up going almost vertical from it. Neville goes for the ladder again, but Bo knocks it over, and he gets Neville in the corner, smashing him to pieces. He tries to take out Neville on the ladder, but Neville manages to bonk Dallas on the turnbuckle instead. Neville positions the ladder, starts scaling. Bo goes for the other side. Bo attacks him again, and Neville gets him down on the mat, and he's going to go for the red arrow. And then Dallas just knocks him from the top rope, sending him just slamming back first into the apron and then to the ground. And it is so ugly. That was on purpose, right? Like that whole thing. Like him. Oh, yeah. How is Adrian Neville still wrestling? Like, how is Pac even a thing that is happening? Because, like, Adrian Neville is, like, willing to take these hideous falls that are so painful looking. As a fellow northerner, I will say he's tough as fucking nails. Like, (laughs) I don't know what you could do to that man that would put him down. I mean, he wrestled with, was it a broken arm when he wrestled (gasps) Jericho? He broke yeah. his arm, right? Not his leg. And Jericho was like, I think you broke your arm. And he's like, no, I'm fine. And like, oh he finished the match. And then only after the match, he was God. like, yeah, I broke my arm. Yeah, carry on. <laughs> it's like, holy shit. Like, you can't put that man down. Yeah. He's amazing. He's a ridiculous <sighs> human being. I love him so much. But I also am like, please take care of yourself, sir. Bo crawls to the ladder and begins to belly climb up it. And then from the top fucking rope, Neville leaps over Bo to land above him on the goddamn ladder. And Bo's like, oh, shit. 
And he's like, Bo's like clambering <laughs> up, trying to suplex Neville off of it. No success. He gets down. He's like, all right, fine. And he grabs Neville to powerbomb him into the wedge ladder. And Neville replies by picking up Bo up and slamming into the ladder that's now on the mat. And Neville does the red arrow onto the prone Bo Dallas, who is also lying on the prone ladder. He struggles to the ladder that is upright. Bo has rolled to the outside in agony going like, oh man, I just got hit right in the ladder and that really fucking sucked. And Neville is able to touch the belt now. And then Bo's like, oh man, (laughs) he's going to win. Bo scrambles back to the ring to interrupt Neville, but Neville just unhooks the belt and he's the new NXT champion. Yeah. So beautiful. I did have some larger questions for you guys about not just this match, but well, I'll start with this one. That was a legitimately satisfying ladder match as far as I was concerned. Do you, as wrestling fans, feel like they're used about the correct amount in WWE? Or would you like to see a little bit more or a little bit less ladder matches? This is an interesting question. I enjoy a ladder match because it brings out creativity Mm -hmm. in the wrestlers that I think is fantastic to see. And also because there is that slight percentage that someone's going to die, like more so than normal. And it's like, thing you don't want to see anyone get seriously hurt. But it's like with a ladder match, you know, it could happen. And it is that sort of, it's the pepper. It adds some spice to your wrestling viewing (laughs) where you're like, I don't feel good about myself. I don't ever want to see anyone get hurt. But that edge and that anticipation level is always there with a ladder match that's higher than any other kind of match. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd like to see more women's wrestling matches. Fuck yeah. Fewer men's ladder matches honestly um because i think that women bring more innovation to wrestling right now just the physicality like sasha in a ladder match is always amazing because she's so tiny and flexible and capable of so much i want to see candace in more ladder matches i want to see more women's and fewer men's that's my answer to your question i think there's really two kinds of ladder matches in a weird way because like there's the singles ones like this one where it's like it's the culmination of a feud. OK, we're, we've been fighting for a while and it's going to boil over and we have to settle it with a ladder match. And then there's like your kind of fun, like we're going to put six or eight or ten guys or whoever. It's just going to be all spots. It's going to be all like high flying, crazy spots where people crash and burn and die and stuff. <laughs> so like, you know, I think that I would agree. Obviously, I would agree with uh, more women's ladder matches, please. Uh, I would like that very much, especially since you have Io Shirai as your next women's champion. Let's right? just put her in a ladder match yeah. every time. Every match should be yeah. a ladder match for Io Shirai. Um, you've got like a couple WWE shows every year where you know you're going to see one. And then, like, occasionally they'll they'll do it as the culmination of a feud, which makes it kind of special. But I, I would say it's it's reasonable amount. Okay. Yeah. In I general, what, what you don't want, and when it ends up feeling dumb, is when you get too many ladder matches where people are doing the, like, oh, I cannot possibly make it up this ladder, <laughs> which is what's so amazing about the end of this match, because that doesn't happen in this match. There isn't, like... Bo's crawling and Neville's like desperately trying. Like you believe that Neville is so beat up that that is the realistic speed at which one could climb a ladder in his physical state. And Bo actually does try and get up the ladder to beat him and he just gets beaten at that last minute. Mm -hmm. It's not overdramatic. It's not over-storylined. It's utterly believable. Uh, And that's the thing that's hard about ladder matches. They can be the thing that challenges your suspension of disbelief. 
when it's like, just climb the fucking ladder. This is not how any human ever climbed a ladder. Yeah. <laughs> this match never feels like that. They use the ladders as weapons until it's time to use them as tools. And then when they do use them as a tool, they do it very realistically. I think that's why it's a fantastic ladder match. It's kind of subdued. I think everybody expected Neville to do a red arrow off the top of the ladder in this match, and he doesn't. Yeah. He sandwiches Bo on top of one instead. This feels very much to me like the match they would have had only with ladders. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Only there it's are ladders here. It's not full of career-ending spots, which is what I... Right. Which is what is exciting about a ladder match, but also what I hate about a ladder match. I'm like, yeah. don't kill each other, but also like, do what I mean, try. Like, politely <laughs> try, but don't actually go through with it. Um, it's just such a good example of it being done well. I was also curious, does this whole show feel like modern current NXT to you? Or does it still feel like it's got a little bit ways to go? I think the thing that was most notable for me when I was watching it and the note that I took was at the beginning when Triple H comes out and is like, this is the future of wrestling. This is the future of wrestling. And I'm like, you know what? Like revisiting this seven years later, you are correct in ways that I don't think you anticipated in that everyone here has done something. You know, Paige's career has ended through injury. Mm. And when you look at the number of people on the roster, like you're like, yeah, an average number of wrestlers whose careers ended early due to injury. This is like your one in your 12 people on the card or whatever, one in 16. So like, yep, that's someone whose career was ended early by injury. Yeah. You got CJ Parker who left because he wasn't being treated well. And now he's doing amazing stuff in New Japan as Juice Robinson. You've got Rusev who left because you didn't treat him well. You've got two guys opening this match who were absolutely incredible, who were being wasted away on your main roster. Yep. Uh, you've got Neville again left because he wasn't being treated properly. You've got Bo Dallas who, what the fuck is he doing? I, I mean, haven't seen him in ages. I would love for Paul to go back and watch this match and watch him tell you that this is yeah. the future of wrestling. And you were like, you know what? It is. And not in the way you think. It's in the future of how you fucked up as a company. It's not right. the future of what was possible. It's the future of how you fucked up. It's um, the first like major evidence exhibit A of like, look at all this talent that you then wasted. Yeah. Emma's gone. Rusev's gone. Neville's gone. CJ's gone. People you invested in like Mojo Raleigh did nothing to further the yeah. business you ruined the ascension uh you know Neville like, left Neville's standing Neville's tall at the end gone. of the show he's gone yeah. Uh, yeah and then you've got Sammy and Cesaro doing nothing <laughs> doing I, nothing I want so many good things for them I just want them to be happy boys it's a heartbreaker that everyone on that card is just like not doing what they could be doing in the WWE the craziest thing to me about looking at it that way is that the one person who wrestled on the show who's had the single most success is Xavier Woods. Yeah, far and away. I wouldn't have called that. He's also the only the only uh, wrestler of color on the entire show. Yeah. So it's like the guy who didn't have know. his own theme music is the guy yeah. that is the walks into the Hall of Fame first day, you know, like, yep, absolutely. Who saw that coming? It is really interesting when you go back and look at it from that perspective. All right, Bob. Well, thank you so much for that breakdown. I mean, I imagine you enjoyed the show. I did enjoy the show. I think there were parts of it that I was like, oh, okay, this is just part of, you know, filling out the two hours. But for the most part, I popped pretty much continuously throughout the entirety of the Zayn Cesaro match. And then that kept me high for the rest of it. All right. Well, we're going to uh, get into our next segment. Before we do that, we have to ring the bell, Bob. Oh, no. Okay. It is, it is time. And on this episode, we are ringing the bell for... Antonio Cesaro. Oh, what? 
This is his final appearance in NXT, although he will have a match at an NXT UK TakeOver event in 2019, so oh look forward to that. Oh my god! Um, even from the start of our coverage, Cesaro was a main roster guy, but he was somewhat low on that particular totem pole. He had basically just come into the company in 2012, and the only accomplishments he had to his name outside NXT were a US championship run and the growing popularity of the Real Americans tag team. Uh, which was never enough for them to actually win the tag team championship. But in early 2014, the Cesaro swing started getting over huge with crowds and WWE decided to get serious about him, which you can tell because they dropped the Antonio part of his name Mm. and branded him as just Cesaro going forward. Because if there's one thing Vince McMahon can't abide, it is a first name. (laughs) As you know, he was inserted into the Elimination Chamber match for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship, which took place a few days before arrival. He didn't win the title that night, but he did win the very first Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal at WrestleMania 30, after which he dropped the We the People gimmick, thank God, and was rebranded as the King of Swing by his new manager, Paul Heyman. What? really seemed like there was nowhere to go but up. Um, And up is where Cesaro went. With Heyman by his side, he enjoyed a lengthy reign with the Intercontinental Championship while steadily rising in popularity. Throughout 2014 and 2015, he kicked off 2016 by winning the Royal Rumble and went on to defeat Roman Reigns in the main event of WrestleMania 32, a match that quickly took its place among the ranks of classic WrestleMania contests. He's uh, been in the main event picture ever since, uh, with multiple World Championship reigns and a number of legendary feuds against top WWE talent. As we record this, he remains one of the most popular and recognized wrestlers in the world, uh, particularly thanks to his incorporation to the Expendables franchise. And, wait, hang on. Is this is uh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry, I was reading the wrong copy. No, that one's from the Parallel Earth, oh. where success is tied to talent, and the concept of justice can actually be directly seen and not just imagined. That's that's my mistake. My mistake, guys. Oh no, that one's on me. Um, if only, if only. Let me just find the. Uh, Real quick. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh-huh. This is the right one. Okay. So, um, yeah. Lost his first name. Elimination Chamber. Uh, Andre the Giant Battle Royal. King of Swing. Paul Heyman. Right. Okay. It seemed like there was nowhere to go uh, but up. Uh, unfortunately, in this universe, Cesaro's post-mania push lasted about a month. <gasps> the whole King of Swing thing fizzled out after WWE basically refused to give him any significant victories. Oh and also God. they told him to stop using the swing because it was making him too popular and he was a heel. What the um, fuck? The partnership with Heyman was over by August. Since then, he's basically been used as a tag team guy. And uh, don't get me wrong. He's he's great at being a tag team guy. He's a seven time tag team champion with four different partners. But uh, I think you know enough about Vince by now, Bob, to know how much he respects tag team wrestling. Yeah, Uh, he respects it so much that Cesaro and his partner Sheamus spent WrestleMania 34 losing the tag titles to Braun Strowman and literally a 10 year old child. Oh, my God. It seems like every few years, somebody in WWE realizes that the company employs one of the most incredible athletes on the planet and tries to give him a singles push, but he hasn't won a singles championship since he lost that U.S. title in April of 2013, immediately before the start of our coverage. Oh, my God. Um, His continued misuse is the third most criminally insane feature of the modern wrestling landscape, right behind number one uh, by a mile, which is WWE's relationship with Saudi Arabia, Mm -hmm. uh, and number two, which is AEW's relationship with their women's division. Yes. So, unfortunately, uh, this will be the last we're seeing of Cesaro. I wish I could say he had a bright future ahead of him, but you know what? He seems happy. He seems like he's at least, like, you know, living his life and having fun. He's having fun on Twitch, it seems like. Yeah, I deeply love that man. It breaks my heart every time. 
Breaks my heart. He's so talented. So yeah. great at what he does. And good at everything they give him. All right, it's now time for the sight, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? Weirdly, at the final moment, John Cena doing the proud father clap as Adrian Neville. Oh, yeah, I forgot he was there. NXT Championship belt and something about the earnestness of John Cena. I have seen very little of John Cena, and the very little I have seen of him has mainly been Jort's dad. And so seeing him as like earnest, proud father was sort of like, oh, all right. It felt like he was there to go, good job. Like you've earned my respect and you deserve to be recognized and everything that you're getting right now is only a fraction of what you deserve. You're incredible. And I was like, oh, thanks, John Cena, for being there to be supportive. Nice. Miles, what did your elf eyes see? Uh, I've been waiting our entire coverage to get to this version of Adrian Neville's entrance and music. Uh, This is the debut of the whole like weird cyborg thing he started doing. Mm -hmm. And it just makes so much sense to me. He is basically a cyborg calculating like complete control over every muscle in his body type of man. He had kind of just kind of generic nothing music up to now. And I love this theme song. I love the, the theme of it that he gets now that he's NXT champion. And I'm just really here for it. Nice. All right, Lindsay, what did your elf eyes see? I don't think I saw anything after Sami Zayn's perfectly groomed hair and beard. I really didn't. (laughs) I mean, it's overlooked when you think about what the Sami Zayn we see today, which I appreciate. You know, there's a pandemic. He's got other things to think about. Uh, But I had forgotten what a straight up hottie he was uh, Mm -hmm. and and is. But like I'd forgotten how just fully conventionally hot he is at this point. Um, I'm not proud of myself, but that's, that's <laughs> what I saw. Uh, you're going to put him in a ring with one of the most beautiful men that ever lived, so I'm going to notice things like that. Absolutely. So that's the thing that happened. Put them in a sexually charged feud where they just want to... Oh, my God. Right? Yeah, and then it has to end in a hug because it can't end any other way. The that's hug right. Meant, the hug meant something else. I know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and then they boned. So much. <laughs> At least so one much. time just to see how it would go. You know? Oh, no. Our, our headcanon is that they've definitely boned before and that this is all Zane's attempt to get back with Antonio Cesaro. That's why he's yeah. like come out to the ring and been like, no, baby, we should bone again. We should definitely wrestle again. <laughs> and Cesaro's like, no, nah, no, nah, you're good. But like, I'm always going to yeah. be the king of boning. And you're like, I mean, <sighs> you're kind of right, though. Let's make him that belt. Let's get him the king of boning belt because he should have a belt. He deserves a belt. You can chant King of Boning to a good cadence in a wrestling crowd. I love that man. I know. I just keep saying (laughs) it. I interviewed them, um, him and Seamus, and uh, he was just the nicest fucking man. And it was when everyone had started telling him, saying he was daddy. And he was like, what does that even mean? What does it mean that I'm daddy? I'm not a daddy. And he was like, no, you you are. But like, it's, you are daddy. (laughs) Cesaro is daddy. And he was like, explain daddy to Cesaro. He's just an angel. He's an angel that walks up boxes he was the nicest oh, wow. man told me a lot oh. about coffee and ice cream so nice. all right bob what did your vulcan ears hear i heard bo dallas say can i get a water some water my mouth is really dry someone hands him a bottle can i get a glass i don't drink out of bottles regular human man from earth like not at all a weirdo <laughs> alien bo dallas <laughs> i love it but i especially treasured the mildest subtlest healing 
it's not big fancy heel work where he's like, oh man, I can't believe this. It's like the little niggly annoying shit that somebody does that you're like, <laughs> motherfucker, why didn't you say you wanted a glass before we went to this bother? And like, oh, chef kiss. So good. So good. Miles, what did your Vulcan ears hear? I heard a moment on commentary, as usual, that I just I just loved with all of my heart. It's actually during the Ascension to Cool match. Oh, yes. Regal is talking and he says, do you realize how foolish I feel saying sexy? <laughs> and then somebody and I, I don't know if it's Byron or if it's Tom, because I so frequently cannot tell their voices apart. But somebody says, I like when you say it, actually. <laughs> it's got to be Byron. It's got to be Byron. <laughs> I refuse to accept it could be anyone else. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. How did I miss that? I don't know. I was so surprised when you didn't have that for yours. Lindsay, what did your Vulcaneers hear? Oh, I heard the listing of Tyler Breeze's former names. When Tyler Breeze comes out to the ring doing his old Zoolander gimmick, uh, which obviously now has been refined into right. something new, the old Prince Pretty, uh, when the commentary team went through the list of his old names and not even real things that he called himself. Like, <laughs> he would call himself all these crazy things. And it's like, oh, I really loved that gimmick. I... I I like Zoolander, and I like <laughs> that he took Zoolander and made it work. I love Tyler Breeze. I know he struggled for so long to find his place in NXT mm. and in WWE that it just made my heart sing when his gimmick worked for him, mm. uh, whenever you watch any behind-the-scenes stuff with him. So to have that moment, to like cherish that moment in time, to seal it in amber and have oh, it for yeah. always, it made me so happy. All right, Bob, what did your human heart feel? overwhelming love for the acting talent of Sami Zayn. Yeah. His torn up face after losing the match and that bashful, heartened joy when Cesaro hugs him. Unfucking forgettable So perfect. So juicy, chewy. It had everything you could ever want as far as like feels. It's uh, so good. So good. There was nothing else to say. I know. It's so good. Miles, what did your human heart feel? We talked about it a little bit earlier. Lindsay was talking about it in terms of like where all these people ended up and whether or not this was actually the future of wrestling. I had a lot of conflicted feelings about all that, especially when Stephanie came out and talked about, you know, how this was the beginning of a new era in women's wrestling. And it really wasn't yet. Um, mm. It always makes me like it gives me this bittersweet feeling where it's like, man, Paige and Emma, like this really should have been the start of something but it really kind of wasn't and they both had weird careers from this point out Paige had a bunch of stuff happen emma had a bunch of stuff happen and stephanie ends up basically cutting the same fucking promo on raw 18 months later when it's time to debut charlotte and sasha and becky lynch on raw it gets me a little bit Lindsay, what did your human heart feel my human heart is now overwhelmed with Stephanie McMahon's faux feminism. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that, it, 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 same thing. I did actually, that was the thing that I couldn't stop thinking about afterwards. Is like, wait, I've heard you say this before and I've seen you do this again. Yeah. And I see you change your mind on it mm. when it's not best for business. You know, and that's mm -hmm. not what feminism is. And that's not what empowering women is. It's yeah. like, that's a little bit upsetting. Also, where are the women behind the scenes stuff? Um, mm, it's just yeah. you. Yeah. That it's doesn't a make point. you a feminist. That makes you Margaret Thatcher. Ooh, shots fired. Shots fired. I am from a mining village in the north of England. Oh, shit. Like, that's the greatest oh, no. insult one can assign a woman who I earlier told you gave me a hug and told me she liked my shoes. This is why it's conflicting. But yeah, my heart felt so 
happy to have gone back and watched it. And I really genuinely, truly enjoyed it. And I watched it with my husband who wasn't watching back then and he genuinely loved it. And, you know, he's now like, let's watch all the other takeovers. I'm like, no, let's. Like, really, let's. Yeah, definitely. Which is why this podcast is so fantastic. Why um, you guys have given me so much joy. So that's what's in my heart right now. I I felt it then. I feel it now. Joy and appreciation for you guys and what you're doing. Oh, thank you. We really appreciate that. That means a lot. And this all started as just a way for Miles to go, okay, so you don't understand what a match is. We're going to start from the ground up (laughs) with how you know a match has begun and how you know it's over. It's a challenging medium to learn without a lot of help and handholding. Like you it need is, a guide. Honestly, a lot of the reason why I think people who consider themselves, you know, you get these pseudo intellectuals that are like, Ugh, I can't believe you like wrestling. Mm-hmm. And I'm around a lot of those people. Yeah. <laughs> like I yeah, meet them same. and I talk to them all the time. And I wonder how many of them, the reason they want to shit on wrestling and reduce it is because they actually don't get it. And oh, I don't yeah. mean that in a like, oh, you're not smart enough to get it. But then that actually wrestling, once you get past the kid version of wrestling, which is bright colors, loud actors, a Marvel movie every week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So much of it is nuanced. God, that you so actually, nuanced. Like there's so many layers to dig through. And if you're not interested, and that's entirely fine. If you're not interested in getting past the good guy beats the bad guy, the bad guy walks off defeated and comes back to fight another day. That's cool. But if you would just open your mind to it and open your heart to it, it's got so much to give as a medium. It and really one that does. I think is totally incomparable and doesn't exist anywhere else that's really beautiful yes i think that's a great note to to go out on Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on the show we really appreciate it yes all of our hearts the last question we always ask guests when they come on especially when they're knowledgeable about wrestling as you are is what advice would you give megan bob or any other nascent wrestling fan uh, as they begin traversing this uh this bizarre world it's the same advice I gave my husband when he started watching it, which is like, (laughs) just watch it. It's the same thing as anything, you know? I think you just have to let it wash over you. I once Mm. described it to my husband, and he laughed, and he was right to do so. And like, it's kind of like watching a Shakespearean play. Mm. You aren't going to follow every moment of it. The language isn't always going to make sense to you, but the storyline will. Like, you know, Shakespeare, Mm. there's three stories. Wrestling, there's three stories. It's just going to be told in a different way with slightly different nuance and inflection every time. So you just let it wash over you until before you know it, you are so deep into this mire that you are never getting out. But it's a happy <sighs> place. Come join us. It's a happy that place. is Absolutely. such a beautiful way to put it because I feel like there is such a big Venn diagram between Shakespeare and wrestling. Truly, truly. That's the next course I should teach. I have been seriously <laughs> considering going like, can I make a, a course that's about wrestling? Because I could. I could do you it. absolutely could. Everything is wrestling. Romance novels. Wrestling is romance novels. Wrestling is politics. Wrestling is, is Shakespeare. You can see wrestling in any aspect of life if you go and care to look for it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it is so fascinating as a medium. Our listeners, if they want to hear more of you, can go over to uh, Tights and Fights, and they definitely should. Uh, I will say it is the only wrestling podcast beyond my own that I still listen to. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, That's a huge every compliment. Week. We're real horny, and we've been in the house for <laughs> such a long time. It's like <laughs> we're trying to keep it up. We're trying to keep it positive. And AEW tests us, but we're trying oh, yeah. really hard. 
Uh, is there anything else you want to plug while you're here before we, we get out of here? I don't think so. You covered it all. Tights and fights. Come listen. We're there every week trying to be optimistic about the world yeah. that we love. If you're a romance novel person, which why would you not be? I have mm-hmm. those too. So um, check them out. They're in the library. They're available for your devices. They're in bookstores. They're out there. Awesome. Right. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you. All right, well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bob, want to thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for bundling me up, putting me in this car on this road trip to get to this point where at points along the way I was going, where are we going? What is happening? (laughs) Why are we in this car? This car has some very odd choices about its tag team division. (laughs) And like, it's all been worth it to get to this point. And thank you so much also to Lindsay Kelk for being our guest on the show. It was absolutely overwhelming. Thank yous. And thank you to everybody who supports us on Patreon over at patreon.com slash NXT wrestling fan. If you hadn't yet noticed, we did change up our tier and goal system just a little bit. uh, So you can go on over to that website and see what you get. If you support us at various levels, Mm Mm-hmm. One thing that uh, you can do at any level of uh, Patreon, or indeed if you don't support us on Patreon at all, is attend our occasional watch parties. Uh, usually yeah. every other month, but it's been a while since we had one because of everything. But we yeah. are having one as you listen to this. It is this Sunday, uh, February 21st. We are getting together on cast at 1 o'clock p.m. Pacific time to watch five Brody Lee matches because yeah. we uh, we are still missing Brody and yeah, want to sure. check out some of his work. I have selected the matches in question that we're going to watch. I'm very fond of them. Some from WWE, some from Chikara. It's going to be a good time. Come join us. If you have not joined us before on cast and you don't already know the room, we will be posting the link on our social media on Twitter at NXT yes. Wrestling Fan, uh, as well as in the Smash Fiction Fan Faction, which if you uh, are not aware of that Facebook group, which is for fans of this show, as well as the Smash Fiction Podcast and Garden Plots with Skeletor, head on over there to the faction. Uh, it is a ton of fun. An absolute, it it's my favorite place on the internet. It's yeah. pretty much my favorite place on the internet, too. I'm in there all the freaking time, and it's sort of just a pile of friendship. Just a bunch of friend hangs, but, like, in a welcoming way. Yeah, if you want to get to know Bob and I better, uh, that's a great place to do it, because Bob and I are both on the fan faction pretty much every day. And another thing to be looking out for is going to be the romance bonus episode, which has been recorded. And now we're just working on editing and getting it into the feed. I don't know if I touched Miles' heart. Well, I touched his heart, but not maybe the romancy part of it. <laughs> maybe the like burn the establishment part of it, which is not. It's very close to the romancy part of it, as it turns yeah. out. Perhaps not to anybody's surprise, but there you go. So that is coming. Keep an eye out on the feed for that bonus episode. Yeah, the book is called A Duke in Disguise. If you want to go check it out and uh, follow along with us. I had a lot of fun with this one, and it did indeed make me want to quench my thirst to ease the pangs of my hunger by consuming just a little bit of the rich just, <laughs> just a just a nibble look i'm trying to lose weight you know what i mean but like and the rich are very fatty yeah i just maybe eat a little bit of the rich you don't want to leave that on the plate that's the best part <laughs>
<laughs> and on that note, thank you so much for listening and following us. Thank you so much for all that you do out there. We love you. We appreciate you. We and we will see you in two weeks with a new episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bye! The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman and Megan Bob, with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. I do always love it whenever they do cosplay, because Kofi Kingston's Skeletor stuff, it means so much (laughs) to me, so much to me. The only time I find it weird is when heels wear Disney stuff. (laughs) I know that's weird because I know there's no more heelish company on the planet than Disney. But like, I find it really weird when Johnny Gargano's going out in Finding Dory panties. (laughs) Like, I'm like, what? You dress as Nemo? (laughs) But you're a bad guy. When Alexa Bliss was in her like super heelish mode and she was going out dressed as like Disney princesses. Oh, yeah, Yeah, that is. I could kind of get through that, but also some part of me viscerally rejects it. At least with Johnny, like, he's a heel, but also his character is definitely an enormous dork. I mean, he named his stable the way, for God's sake. I know. I say this with the utmost love and respect. I love no one like I love the Garganos. When they announced on Instagram that they built their house, like, I don't know these people. And I literally (laughs) went to find my husband and was like, oh my God, Johnny and Candace built their house. Like, what's wrong with me?